if a buyer was getting 10,000 from tax returns, we would say, okay, so how much of that $10,000 would you be comfortable with committing towards your down payment? That got us basically a whole nother stream of revenue. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Nick Prefontaine. How you doing, Nick? I'm doing awesome, Joe. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to our conversation as well and a little bit about Nick. He is part of the Smart Real Estate Coach family. He's an expert in buying and selling on terms, specializes in working with lease purchasers to get them into a home and onto the path of home ownership. Recently authored The New Rules of Real Estate Investing. And with that being said, Nick, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I will start off by just saying my story of how I got interested in real estate and that will give a little bit more insight to the listeners out there. It was back when I was about 14 or 15. I, I would say 15 at that point. I got turned on to a certain book. It was Robert Kawasaki, Cashflow Quadrant. I can remember that like it was yesterday, reading that for the first time. And first, I grew up in real estate, but that was really my first interest in it on my own, picking up that book and going through it and just seeing what was possible. That was at that time when I was 15 years old, that was after my accident. And actually shortly after that, I went to a seminar, quick term real estate school, I think it was called. And then what I started doing actually when I was only 16 years old was knocking on pre-foreclosure doors. In other words, people that have received a notice of default from the bank. I would go to these cities where there was high concentrations of those and knock on their door, try to get them to set up a meeting with an investor on our team that could meet with them and see if we could end up buying their house and helping them out of that tough situation. So that was my first kind of experience into real estate. And someone brought this up to me recently. They said, wait a minute. So this is only two years after being in a snowboarding accident and recovering from that, having to learn how to walk, talk, and eat again. You were going to some not so great areas and knocking on people's door that either were a couple payments all the way up to 10 or 12 payments behind on their mortgage. 
And I never really thought about it that way. I was, <laughs> I kind of like took a step back and was like, wow, I didn't really realize the significance of that. But yeah, I guess that kind of was a big deal. That you were 16 years old knocking on these doors? Snowboarding accident or no snowboarding accident, just as a 16-year-old, that's impressive. That's something that I'd say 99.99% of 16-year-olds do not do. In fact, I don't remember interviewing someone in all my interviews who at 16 years old was doing that. What type of responses did you get? Tell us about the bad ones first, just to paint a picture of what you were coming across on one extreme. I was trying to be as efficient as possible. And the way that I saw being as efficient as possible was to hit the areas. It didn't really dawn on me at the time, but the areas where there was the most concentration of these were not so good areas, not so great cities that, um, well, I'm sure lovely cities, but every city has a good and bad area of that. So it really didn't strike me at the time as a bad idea. I was just thinking I can hit the most amount of doors in a day. So that's what I did. And I would do upwards of 50 to 60 doors in a day. I think that was at my peak when I was doing the most. Some of the bad situations, I remember first going out there before I really knew what I was doing and not really having an approach, I guess you could say. Just knocking on doors and basically trying to rehearse or recite something that that I memorized and planned out. And I just remembered I had a lot of resistance at that. But then my cousin and I actually flew out to California to learn from one of the top guys in the industry that was having the most success with door knocking the notice of default doors like this. And once I got that, I really learned that you have to relate to these people and kind of get them to drop their guard and to make them realize that you're on their side. And then once I was doing that, my whole approach changed. And I was seeing a lot of success after I did that. But yeah, a lot of doors slammed in my face for sure. There's nothing like learning how to sell when someone's in a very distressed situation missing one, two, or sometimes even up to nine or 10 payments, them opening the door and basically you having to sell yourself in 30 seconds to help them. Mm-hmm. So that was really a, I guess you could say school of hard knocks. Yeah, yes, no pun intended. Whose seminar did you go to that helped you out? Ron Legrand, his quick start, I think it was called that at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and you have 30 seconds. So let's just do a scenario here. You just finished this seminar about 60 days ago. So you've implemented the approach that you learned where you have to relate to people. You have to have them drop their guard. You're on their side. Your whole approach changed. So now walk us through what that looks like within the first 30 seconds now when you knock on someone's door. Sure. Let's just role play and pretend it was you. Okay. Okay. So knock, knock. I open. Yes. Okay. I would have a clipboard with me and I would look down at my clipboard. You can't see that because we don't have video here, but I'm actually not 100% sure I have the right address. Could you confirm some information for me? Uh, I show you my clipboard and uh once they saw 
their name on the notice of default list, you would open up to me and tell me about what happened, what they were doing to fix it, and how they were stuck, and basically the whole tenor of the conversation would change at that point. Okay, so all you would say is, can you confirm some information for me and show them the clipboard, and that's it. Pretty much. That's what's different. Yeah, but, yeah, exactly. That's what started the dialogue. And before that, it was very standoffish and very, what are you doing here? Before, yeah, so what would you do before? I would go to them and say, hi, I'm Nick Prefontaine with blah, blah, blah. Noticed you had the XYZ happen. I'm here to help you, that kind of thing. Okay. Kind of talking at them and not being on their side. Right, whereas this way they're taking the lead on the conversation. Yeah, exactly. They would open up to me and tell me what happened. Oh God, thanks for coming by and Mm -hmm. uh, what they were doing to fix it. And I'm not going to say it was the majority of the time, but I was able to, in a lot of cases, set up meetings with investors of ours to come out and meet with the home. And then we actually got quite a few houses in the area that we have for years after that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And what a way to start your career. So that's, how old are you now? I am 30. I'm that was 30 six. That was, okay. So that was 14 years ago. Thank you for yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. so that was 14 years ago. Have you been focused on selling on terms and lease options since then? Yeah. It was actually interesting how my foray into this niche within real estate transpired from that. Shortly after that, I was door knocking. I remember up until. January or February of my senior year, I was 18. So I did that for a couple of years. But then after I stopped doing doors and I graduated, I graduated a few months after that. Next natural progression was to get my real estate license because I grew up in a family, all real estate. When I was younger, my dad was a builder. Then after that, He transitioned into being a realtor and then an investor. So that's really all I knew was real estate at that point. So I just figured it was the next natural progression. Oh, I'm 18. I graduated high school. I never really wanted to go to college. I just really enjoyed working and especially my success with door knocking, these pre-foreclosure doors or notice of default doors and seeing success in that. I just wanted to work. So I started studying a few months after graduating to get my real estate license. And then in March of 2008, I know all the listeners are thinking that's a fantastic time for you to be a realtor and (laughs) to get your real estate license. But I really enjoyed it just because I got my real estate license. And shortly after that, later in that year, it transpired that the market crashed and everything like that. But really, I never knew anything different. I never knew a good market or a bad market. That was just the market that I was dealing with. That was the current market at the time. So I learned how to make a living. I learned how to work with buyers and list and sell houses during that financial climate. I really wouldn't change a thing from that just because there was less competition because the market was not very good at that time. I didn't know any different. I thought it was normal. So I just went out there and the majority of my peers and other realtors out there were complaining about how bad things were and how good things used to be. I had no idea. So I actually look at that as a blessing. Mm -hmm. Then fast forward to, 
I would say probably six years solidly being able to survive and make a living. I was doing great. I was a successful realtor. I was supporting myself, that kind of thing. My dad started doing this terms investing. He, as I said, was always in real estate, but he started doing things like rent-to-own real estate, owner financing, that kind of thing. Things on terms, non-conventional stuff that you don't need to go out and sign personally and get bank loans for. He started doing that back in 2013. Shortly after that, by the end of 2014, he was starting to get overwhelmed with first it was the marketing of all the properties that he was getting under contract. Then shortly after that, it was the buyers that he needed help with. And actually come to think of it, and this is actually kind of funny. I look back now, Joe, and I'm like, I kind of laugh about it just because I was at first very like, no, no, no. I'm doing my own thing. I'm very independent. I think it was my ego getting in the way. I'm doing my thing. I'm a realtor. I don't need your help. I was doing that. So I was hesitant even to start helping him with the marketing. But then once I started helping him with the marketing, I just noticed how much of a need there was to help with the buyers. Mm -hmm. So I took that over for him and I started working with his buyers. Then by, I would say December, 2015, just the very beginning of January 2016, I was waiting for my last commission check to come in. I just let my license go. Just because at that point, when I first started with him, my income as a realtor was 90% of my income and work in the marketing and some of the buyers was 5 or 10%. It wasn't a lot. But then over the course of two years or a year and a half, my income had gone the opposite way. So I was making the majority with him buying and selling houses and helping the buyers and doing the marketing. So it was more hassle than it was worth to keep my real estate license with all the expenses and all the courses that you have to go to every single year for hours on end for no reason. Looking at what you have been doing in the current position that you're in, what are some things that you've enhanced since you've been doing it? just to learn more about how you've evolved your process. Because I asked that question because when you were 16, you went to a seminar because something wasn't working, then you fixed it, and then you were off and running. So I'm sure there was something that you weren't doing as efficiently with your current position that you're doing more efficiently now. I never thought about it phrased that particular way, but what happened, an interesting thing that happened, Joe, when I first started helping my dad with the buyers, with these deals, you can get paid up to three different paydays out of the same deal. So just to keep it super simple for your listeners, you're making money on the first initial down payment from the buyers, and that usually ranges anywhere from 3 to 10%. Then you're making money between what you have to pay, either if you're paying the seller directly, if it's owner financing, or if there's underlying debt paying the mortgage, the spread between what you have to pay and what you charge your buyer. So you're making a little bit of a spread there monthly. And then sometimes and often the third payday comes at the very end. That's when the buyer gets their own financing because in the majority of the cases, you are selling the home for more than you're buying it for. 
So you get a big payday on the back end of these deals. And you're also benefiting from the principal pay down over the course of these terms. So when I first stepped into the position and helping my dad with the buyers, his average payday one, we call it, just the buyer's initial down payment was, I think, $10,800. And after I was working for a few years with it, and this isn't just me. I'm not, I'm not just trying to toot my own horn here. This is a collaborative effort between everyone in the office. We were able to get the payday one, doubled it from $10,000 to $20,000. Now, the reason that we were able to do that is I wouldn't just structure higher down payments. Oh, wow, you doubled the down payment initially. That would be wonderful if I did, but that's not 100% what I did. So yeah, I asked them a couple times if they could do a little bit more and I had them stretch their down payment, what they could do a little bit more initially. But then more importantly, I structured payments with these buyers over the course of their term, structured around if they got year-end bonuses or anything like that, or if they were self-employed, if there was any other better times of the year for income, I would structure it based on their payment schedule and they would contribute towards their down payment at that time. So over the course of the lease, not only would they be paying for the regular monthly payment, but they would also be making a few times a year, in most cases, down payments towards a down payment. Another good one, Joe, was tax returns. So if a buyer was getting 10000 from tax returns, we would say, okay, so how much of that $10,000 would you be comfortable with committing towards your down payment? That got us basically a whole nother stream of revenue. So that's yep. how we were able to double the down payment from $10,000 to $20,000. Changes the dynamic of the conversation with that type of leading question. Yeah. Taking a step back, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever. Now, look, Joe, how we buy and sell, it's not a good fit for everyone, but I think... If your listeners are at least intrigued by anything that I've said, Zach has said, or my dad has said, because I think they've both been on this show, what they can do to find out more information is head to our website, which is smartrealestatecoach.com, and they can get registered. We have a free webinar. It's called the On Your Terms webinar. I think it's like 60 minutes long or a little bit over 60 minutes long, and if by the end of that, it still seems like something they want to dig into and learn more about, they'll know how to take the next step and the action from there. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm ready for that. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. Okay, best ever book you've recently read? 
best ever book that I've recently read. I'm just going to go back to my favorite book that started me down this whole journey of energy and everything like that, which was Frequency by Penny Pierce. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Oh, mistake I've made? Yep. Do we have time for that? I know this is the lightning round. <laughs> We're still in the trenches every day, Joe. So we are constantly buying and selling houses and putting tenant buyers in them. So I believe two of the tenant buyers that we actually installed in homes with a down payment last year, one of them is gone from the property and the other one we're in the process of getting them out of the property. So we still are in the trenches dealing with this stuff every day. And it's not a bad thing when that happens. It's just you have to learn how to pivot and then you end up actually finding a better buyer in most cases. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Best ever way I like to give back to the community is I mentioned I got in a snowboarding accident and I had to learn how to walk, talk, and eat again briefly. Once I was transported to Franciscan Children's Hospital after I got out of my coma, I was in the ICU. I was at Franciscan Children's Hospital and after getting out of there, I was there for only a little less than two months. That's where I had to regain everything. But after getting out of there, myself and my family, we created a family foundation, the Prefontaine Foundation, that 100% benefits Franciscan Children's Hospital. And shortly after that, just because there was so much work administratively that we didn't anticipate, the foundation was dissolved into the hospital, and it's now the Prefontaine Fund at Franciscan Children's Hospital, I still give back 10% of what I earn to them. And also, I still participate with them in charity events that they have. And and I'm always looking to support them and grow what they're doing. They're awesome over there. Well, really appreciate you sharing your story, the lessons you've learned, how you got started, talking about enhancing your effectiveness when you were door knocking at the age of 16 to continuing to enhance effectiveness on an ongoing basis now with what you're doing. I love that we went through the role play with the door knocking and just talked through your approach after you enhanced your process just to learn how you did that because, man, that's a challenging thing to do, going door to door knocking on strangers' doors. I imagine that's up there with public speaking in terms of fears that people have. So, Nick, thank you for being on the show, sharing your story, talking about your best advice. And I know you got a book that you authored, The New Rules of Real Estate Investing. How can the best ever listeners get access to that? They can actually get a free copy of that. And when I say free, I'm not talking about we're going to hit you up for shipping after you opt into it. It's 100% free, shipping included. They can go to the website, newrulesforfree.com. Again, that's newrulesforfree.com. I also, Joe, did mention the webinar that they can check out, the On Your Terms webinar. I encourage anyone that's even a little curious to check that out because with that, you actually do get a free strategy call with my brother-in-law, Zach, and That'll really help you understand it a little bit more, I think. Thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. 
Thanks, Joe. Th- I loved it. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.